1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to continue our study in, in 1 Corinthians 4 here. And last week we, we began this chapter and we're looking at Christian leaders. And, and again, in the context of Paul is fighting division. And there are a lot of issues, there are a lot of things going on in which the Corinthians are allowing themselves to be divided. And one of them was over their leaders. And we, we began looking in, at this chapter last week at, and uh, a couple of points that we said church leaders are servants who have begin, been given authority. Church leaders are servants who have been given authority. It's the tension there between, between Paul says, and one hand, on one hand you're a slave... The lowest of all, we said that word there, servant, is an under rower, the bottom of the barrel of the ship, at the very bottom. And yet at the same time, we're stewards. We've been entrusted with so much. We've been trusted with the mercies of God. We've been entrusted with, the, with really the king's household and his things, and we're to steward them. And it says we're to be found faithful. We're to be found faithful. And so it's that tension there between being, on one hand, a servant the lowest of the low, but on the other hand, uh, an exalted position adopted by the king. And then we, we said, secondly, that church leaders are examples to be followed, but not worshipped. We're to be followed, but not worshipped. We're to be humbled by what God is doing with us, but, 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 but not to the point where we, we allow ourselves to be worshipped. And the Corinthians had been exalting leaders to a higher level than what they deserved. They were following personalities instead of following a savior. They were comparing, and we said that anytime you compare things, you end up criticizing the one over the other. And it's true. You know, look on Facebook after a game. All these people are just bad mouthing each other, going at each, going at it after a game. Oh, you don't this team that you can't you can't compare two football teams if you like the one and don't like the other without criticizing the one you don't like. And unfortunately, it was that way with church leaders. We begin to compare pastors. Well, I sit under this pastor. Well, I sit under this pastor. You know, I feel sorry for y'all in the sense of somebody. Well, I sit under Charles Stanley. Well, I sit under Chris Basham. Well, who's Chris Basham? You know, you're not going to win that battle. And they had done that. Oh, well, I sit under Apollos and I sit under this one and this one. And they're like, well, we follow Paul. And Paul says, that, that, that's, not, that's not right. That's not right. Don't be divided over church leaders. We're servants. We're stewards. Everything that we have is of grace. Why do you, you can't brag about grace. You can brag for it, but you can't brag as if you earned it. And, and so today we're going to finish this chapter and we're starting in, in verse 8. And, and Paul says, you are already filled. You have become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us among apostles, exhibited us apostles last of all men as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are, dis you are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless and we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. 
For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of the ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out, not with the words of those who are arrogant, but with their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? And I love this last phrase. Shall I come to you with a rod? Or with love and a spirit of gentleness. You ever told your kid, it's your choice. Hey, it's your choice. When I come home, how am I going to find you? Am I going to come in with joy? Am I going to come in with that belt? It's your choice. I was like, Dad, you know well it's not my choice. It's not my choice. And and Paul is continuing here, uh, again, the, the division over church leaders. And, and what he says here, there, I think in all of us we would agree, we struggle with suffering. We struggle with the idea of suffering and we do anything we can to avoid it. And that's what Paul is dealing with first and foremost here. They had confused their ele- supposed elevated status with the, the thought, oh, we've arrived. We've arrived. God certainly is blessing us. We, look at what we have. Oh, they even went so far as to think that, hey, the kingdom of God has arrived. Look at us. And Paul is saying, hey, don't confuse easy going with God's blessing. And don't confuse the fact that I'm suffering with a lack of blessing. And Paul says here, we, about church leaders, church leaders, we must see church leaders as sufferers, but those who are also re- will receive relief from their affliction. Relief is coming, it's just not now. And not only is this good for church leaders, this isn't just for me, this is for all believers. We're sufferers. But we will receive relief from our affliction. And Paul really, he's contrasting here what he said in verse, what he says in verses 8, 13, he's contrasting it with verse 7. Remember what he said, he says, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? He's saying your haughty position, your filled position, your full position, your rich position, you're you're trying to live as kings. He says, contrast that with the, the fact that the Word of God calls for humility. Contrast that with grace. Contrast that with the fact that you are who you are because of grace. And what he is saying here is intended to shock them. Many commentators, if you look forward in, in, in chapters 5 and 6, many commentators see here Paul is even trying to shame them. He, he says over here, I, I, don't, I don't write these things to shame you, but later on in the letter he says you ought to be ashamed. And, and what Paul is, is addressing here is the reality that as believers, especially as believers... There is a great tendency in all of us to become arrogant towards those who aren't believers. To to become arrogant because of what we have and what others around the world don't have as if we earned it or if we merited it, as if it wasn't by grace. To To become deceived about ourselves and who we are and what we've been given and why that is. Look, look at me at Revelation 3, 17. 
the Lord had this. He, he says this. He says, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What is he saying? These things are deceiving you. You're deceived. I'm deceived at times. I think we would all admit that we fall prey of judging God based on our, our material status. There's money in the bank, clothes on our back, food in the cupboard. Hey, God must really be happy with what I'm doing. The second things don't go well, it's like, hey, where is God in all this? Where in the, and he's, that's, that's the total opposite of what the Word of God puts forth. For sure, there might be sin that's causing God to discipline you. But do not confuse blessings with, with, the, with thinking that you've arrived spiritually. That's what they're struggling with here. And, and there is a tension. Just like there is a tension between us being slaves and stewards, there is a tension in the Christian life between it's sort of an already not yet. We have been lavished. God has lavished blessings upon us. We have been richly graced. But yet we are not what we will be one day. We've not arrived. He, he, has, he has bestowed a tremendous amount of blessings on us. And yet there still, still weights and inheritance. It's like raising your kids. You do all the best you can to raise them while they're alive. But guess day, one day when you die, there's an inheritance, Lord willing, waiting on them. They have not arrived. And, and we, stand, we stand in a position that we won't experience fully while we're here on this earth. Romans 8, 29, it says that God's desire is to conform us to the image of Christ. Everything that He's doing in our lives, He is taking the old Chris Basham, as nasty and wretched as he is, and He is chiseling away at Chris Basham, and He's, at the end of the day, what I'm going to look like is Christ. And that chiseling hurts sometimes. It's uncomfortable sometimes. I think we would all agree that sometimes the Lord chisels away some things about us that hurt. That quite honestly we'd rather hold on to. And if we're honest with ourselves, we go to great at lengths to try not to allow that to happen. We avoid so, And we should. I'm not saying be, a, be crazy and just go get persecuted on purpose. But when it comes, don't question the Lord. Don't question His love. Don't doubt His love. And Paul really is being sarcastic here. He says, hey, you've already been filled. You've already become rich. You've been kings without us. And he says, I wish that were the case. Why? Because if that were the case, Paul's saying, I'd be a king too. I'd be a king. I wouldn't even be experiencing all this stuff. And the reality is, is they think they're one thing that they're not. They think they're one thing. And really, Paul is saying, no, no, you're not quite as far as you think you are. You, you think that, that when you became a believer that everything would go well, that everything would be hunky-dory, that, that it would just be smooth sailing. And he's saying, hey, that's quite the contrary. Quite the contrary. The Corinthians here, they want the crown without the cross. They, they want the reward without running the race. They, they want the spoils of victory without fighting the war. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think all of us battle with that. All of us battle with that spiritually. The word full there means it literally to eat to the point that you can't eat anymore. They're full. 
You contrast that with Matthew 5, 6 that says, Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for then they will be filled. You know, we, we can fill ourselves with the world to where we think we're not hungry anymore, when the reality is that they're empty calories. It's junk food. They had filled themselves up with the things of this world, and, and Paul is saying, hey, you think you're full, you're not. You think you're rich, but you're not. The word rich there literally means riches gained by your own way. They're self-made. They don't have any need for anybody. They got this. That's what he's saying. You have, hey, you have no need for anybody else. You don't need anybody. You don't need the church. You don't need, hey, you're self-made. Man, I'm proud of you. And he's being sarcastic. They're not self-made. Paul himself is the one that birthed them through the grace of God. Paul is the one that fed them by the grace of God. He says they're kings. They're, they're reigning on the throne. Just, hey, everybody's supposed to serve us. Well, guess what? Paul would say to them, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You go and do likewise. We're not kings. We are kings in a sense, but we're to serve. We're to serve. And they, they've, got it, they've got it confused. Look, there's coming a day, believer, when we will be full. There's coming a day, believer, when we will absolutely be rich. There's coming a day, believer, when we will be kings. But guess what? We have to die first. We got to die first. You, you do not get an inheritance until somebody dies. Somebody's got to die. And in our case, spiritually, we are to labor and toil and work for our king because of what he did for us while we're here on this earth, knowing that there's a crown stored up for us that will not perish, that will not fade, that will not lose value, it, but it's waiting on us. And you won't experience everything there is to experience about being a believer, the good side here on this earth. That's what Paul is saying. I, he says, I wish it were true, but it's not. And we read it, look what Paul, look what Paul dealt with. I mean, think about the pride in them. Literally, literally, what Paul is saying is there is, there is a sense of arrogance about them. Their father, who birthed them through the glory and the grace of God, he shared the gospel with them, they became believers, he, he, has, he has nourished them, he has tried to raise them, and here he is beaten and battered and bruised and abandoned, homeless, persecuted, all for their sake. He did that for their sake, and they're embarrassed for him. It's almost like they're looking at him and just kind of like, Moving over this way a little bit. They don't want to be associated with him. I mean, think about the pride there. And, and what Paul is doing, you, you, if you lived in that culture and you read this, you would understand when a, when a warrior and, a, and an army went out and fought a victory and conquered a people, they would bring back those people and all the spoils of that land they conquered, they would bring them back, chained and they would march and parade through the city. And they would literally, the city would throw them a victory parade. The, the army, the soldiers, everybody would walk through. They would, line, they would cheer for them. And behind them would be all the spoils of that victory. It, it very much, if you watch, just recently I know that Esther and her family loves this. The Stuarts, not so much. Boston just won the World Series. They threw a parade. They threw a parade. They, they, they go all through the streets. Now, Boston, they got on those duck boats and they went through the, 
the, the rivers, but they, they, they line the street. They stand on those boats. They hold up the trophies. They're cheering. They give speeches. That is, that is almost exactly what would happen in this day. And the captives would be behind them. And, and what Paul is literally saying, it would be like if your family was captive and were the prisoners, and they would lead those captives into the, into the arena, and they would lock them into the arena, and they would release wild beasts, and the wild beasts would devour them. Meanwhile, all the people would sit in the audience, and they would cheer. Literally, Paul is saying, I'm the one that's captive, and you're leading the charge. You're, you're, you're clapping for me being led into the arena to be devoured. And instead of standing up with me and for me, you're cheering for me. That, that is exactly what they would have seen here. They're cheering for him. And, and Paul is saying, you've forgotten that the, the crown only comes after the cross. You've forgotten that the word of God says, you don't, don't be surprised when they mistreat you. Don't be surprised when your way goes the same way as your Savior. He died. Jesus Christ died on the cross. We who follow Him, guess what we can expect? 2 Timothy 3.12 says that. Don't, there will be much trouble and toil in this life. And what Paul, but what Paul reminds them of is this. And this is a key, key point for us to remember. And you see it there on your handout. The future, the future, that is Christ's return and reign has been determined by the past, Christ's death. He, he has promised us. He says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I'm leaving you, but I am guarantee you I'm coming back for you. So our future is guaranteed by the past, and our certain future determines the present. Because we know one day our king is coming back, what Paul is saying is, you live unashamedly for that king now. You give up your life. What, what Paul is saying here and what the cross says is, hey, you give up your life now and you gain it forever and eternity. Look, 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 at, look at Mark 8 with me. It'll come up on the screens. Mark 8, verses 34 through 38. And he summoned the crown with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For, whatever is, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He's saying if you sit in that audience and you mock and you laugh and you cheer on while we're a spectacle, trust me, it won't be kind for you in the end. Whoever wishes to gain his life will lose it for my sake. That's what Paul is saying here. It's the same truth Jesus taught here. Paul, why did Paul do that? Because he believed wholeheartedly in Jesus' words. I deny myself and I gain Christ. Less of Paul, more of Christ. Less of this world, more of Christ. And, and the truth of the Bible all throughout, not only 1 Corinthians, but especially 2 Corinthians, where Paul really gets real vulnerable and honest about his life, is that suffering brings about God's glory more 
and creates a more useful servant than does prosperity. Suffering. Look, look, 2 Corinthians 1 4. I'll read these. They're not going to come up on the screen, but 2 Corinthians 1 4. He says, Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort others who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves have been comforted with? Com- it enables us to comfort others. Suffering enables us to comfort. Some of you in here have gone through things and God has walked you through things and guess what? He says, I expect you to walk others through that same thing. Why? Because you know better than anyone else how to comfort them when they're in that affliction. Because you've been there yourself. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that with the passing greatness of the power of God will be not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. What does suffering do? It shows off the greatness of the power of God in our lives. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, hey, I'll boast in my weakness. Why? Because it shows off God's greatness. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. What does suffering do here? It relinquishes our grip on this world and it focuses us on the cross. It focuses on our, on our future. It says, Forget, for, don't be focused on this world, focus on the cross. Let go of the things of this world and grab hold of, of my promise that I'm coming back for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that power of Christ may dwell in me. God's power is perfected in weakness, in suffering. And, and the Corinthians had a wrong view about the present, and that affected their future. They also had a wrong view of the future and it affected their present. And Paul is saying, yeah, you, you, you've received all that, but you won't, you won't really get to enjoy it just yet. It's promised to you. It's as good as guaranteed, but you won't enjoy it. They thought that they had arrived. And Paul is saying, yes, the certainty of the blessing is guaranteed, but... but Give up your life now for Christ because of the, excuse me, because of the certainty. You, you won't experience it now. And they needed a proper perspective. They needed a proper perspective that looked forward that said, you know what? I can't wait to get home and so I'll give up what I'm doing. Now, those soldiers right there that we just watched, I guarantee you that moment of hugging their loved ones is, what kept, is part of what kept them going every single day. They knew that the future held out a return and they wanted to get home. They couldn't wait to get home. They were on the first plane they could to get home. And they were willing to do anything they could because they had been given orders by their commander to serve and to fight, but their mind was on getting home. And that's the way it is for us as believers. We're fighting a war, we're running a race, but our minds are already in heaven. Our affections are already in heaven. And he's saying that ought to change the way we live today. And I illustrated this way. Anybody ever made the mistake of, if you're taking your kids, let's say, to Disney World, made the mistake of telling them, hey, we're going to Disney World, Maybe made the mistake of telling them we're going to Disney World in two weeks. That's the longest two weeks of your life as a parent. Because that's their longest two weeks. Every single day. Is today we're going to Disney World? No. 
It's the day we're going to Disney World. No. And then they get in the car and they've got the tickets in their hand. It's guaranteed we're going to Disney World. That's the longest hour and a half ride in the history of hour and a half rides. Are we there yet? Are we, no, we haven't even left the neighborhood yet, Bradley. Are we there yet? Well, no, we're not even out of Tampa. Are we there yet? No, Sarah, we're not. I will give you $1,000 if you will not ask me, are we there yet again? Trust me, you will see Mickey Mouse alongside the side of the road in a big old blazing emblem, and that's when you know you're here. But spiritually speaking, that's where we are. We have, as believers, we have the tickets. Hey, at one day I'm coming back for you if you don't die and come see me first. And so the waiting is hard. The being patient is hard. The, we have the, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Nope, keep, keep fighting. Are we there yet? Nope, keep running. When's the end? Just keep running. When, when is he coming? Just keep going. The waiting, the suffering, the ride is long. All the stuff that takes place between receiving Jesus as your Savior and fully experiencing salvation, that's where we are as believers. It's the same place your children are when you, make, when you tell them, hey, in three weeks we're going to Disney World. They know they're going. Why? Because they trust you. But that's the longest three weeks of their life. And we know that our, we know the Word of God says, look, I'm coming back for you, bride. I'm coming back for you, believer. But just be faithful while you wait. Be patient while you wait. Live for me while you wait. And the application for us here, the first, is don't fall in the trap of confusing God's blessings with your conditions. Prosperity does not always mean that God is blessing. The reality is that, that the Word of God says that oftentimes suffering is a more accurate picture of God's blessing. It's not that we would pursue it uh, just willy-nilly, but, but if the Lord would entrust us with suffering, that He would be glorified in our lives. Paul said, hey, if you're made much of, hey, I'll boast in my weaknesses. Why? Because it gets the, it gets the attention to you. And, and suffering must precede glory. The, the war comes before the spoils. The training happens before the race. You know, you don't, you don't, hold, you don't hoist the Lombardi trophy and win the Super Bowl without a whole lot of suffering and training and all that stuff that goes on leading up to that moment. Well, we're in that, we're in that stage. But Paul also says, hey, don't fall prey, don't fall victim to responding to, to growing tired and weak and weary and then responding the way the world responds. Keep your head up. Keep fighting. Fight the good fight. He says, he says, hey, when you're roughly treated, don't, don't roughly treat back. When you're persecuted, endure. Don't respond the same way. When you're slandered, try to conciliate. In your tiredness, he's saying, in your impatience and all that, don't, don't fall into the trap of becoming like the world. Keep fighting. Keep running. Keep your form. Look at, look at 1 John 3.13 before we move on. 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. That, that's what John said to believers. He said, we will suffer. Jesus himself said, hey, families will be divided over me. 
But it's worth it. Because guess what? Paul is saying, hey, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We will be delivered. And Paul looked to that, he held that out, and that future, guaranteed future, changed everything about his present. But, but not, only, not only are we sufferers who will be re- relieved, but Paul says church leaders are parents who are loving but willing to discipline. No, no parent in here looks forward to disciplining. We, I, I hope not, at least. If you do, just keep that to yourself. I really look forward when my son or daughter messes up, I spank them. You know, that's, no, we don't look forward to that. That's one of the sadder parts of being a parent. But, but there is a balance. We're parents. And sometimes parents have to discipline. The reality is the Word of God says to not discipline your child is unloving. We'll see that in a minute. And we have seen church leaders referred to as slaves, as servants, as stewards, as farmers, as builders. And right here, in starting at verse 14, Paul uses the most intimate description of a pastor, of a church leader that he gives, and that's of a father. He calls himself a father to them. And, and that, will, that title, along with that title, comes a lot of benefits. But it also comes with the responsibility to admonish, admonish rather, to rebuke, to correct, to train. All that responsibility comes with being a father. It's not, just the, it's not just the games you go to and you watch your kids. It's not just the hugs. It's not just the, the kisses. It's not all the benefits. There's responsibilities that come with being a parent. And, and parents love to see their children walking right, doing right, living up to what you've taught them, honoring the Lord. And Paul is no different here. In 3 John uh, verse 4, John writes, I have no greater joy than this than to see my children walking in the truth. And I think we would all say that as parents. We have no greater joy than when we see our children walking in the ways they've been taught and honoring the Lord. And you can understand the heartbreak Paul has toward his spiritual children here when he sees that they're not. When he sees that they're not. The, the reality is that our children's behavior, that it reflects on us as parents, does it not? In the same way, the Corinthians' behavior, it reflected on Paul as their spiritual father. Our behavior as children of God, guess what? Reflect on our Heavenly Father. And, and Paul is admonishing them. And, and, and it's, not a, it's not a... He's not doing it harshly. He, he's not trying to destroy them. He's trying to reclaim their allegiance. And you see that on your fill-in there. He's trying to reclaim them. You see, good discipline is not set out to destroy our children. Good discipline is set out to bring them back. It's to bring them back to their senses. Good discipline is to recalibrate them. And the word that Paul uses here for beloved is, is, a, is from the root word agape. That is the strongest form of love known to man. It is a selfless love. And that's what he calls them. That's how strong his feelings are for them. Even in the midst of their rebellion, even in the midst of all the trouble they're causing him, even in the midst of all that, Paul says, I love you. And we're like that way, aren't we too, dads? You know, in the midst of all that, that our kids do and this and that, that we still love them. We can't stop loving them. And that's Paul's feelings here. He's saying, I, I, I want you to come back. And he, and he says, he sets out in verse 15, the relationship of a father, the relationship of your father, better or, for better or worse, is different from every other relationship on earth. It's set apart. 
He says, you've had countless tutors. You've had countless people impact you, but you've only had one father. And Paul says, I'm your father. And, and with that comes special responsibilities, special privileges. In that sense, I have special responsibilities and I have special privileges as your pastor. I, and I do love you. I do want what's best for you. I, I, I love to hear stories. This week I heard of people who, for the first time in a long time, memorized the very first verse that they've memorized in a long time. I love getting those emails versus the other emails that I get. I, I, I heard a story of uh, somebody emailed me and said they memorized a verse and they shared that verse with somebody and it was exactly what that person, that person said, that is exactly what I needed right now. That's not an accident. But, but we, we've got to make the effort to do it, to avail ourselves. I, I had the privilege of, I, I don't want to be a pastor that asks y'all to do anything that I don't do myself. This past Monday, for about an hour and a half, I went and I read to Odessa elementary students, to first graders. Because we've asked you to do that. And I'm telling you, almost every single teacher that brought, that, kids, that brought those kids into me said, Hey, Chris... You're probably the only, the only male figure that's ever read to them. You, they don't get any of this at home. I, I spent most of the, the teachers probably don't need to know this. I spent most of the time just getting to know the kids and enjoying the kids and loving on the kids. I mean, the book said the dog jumped. I'm like, I, I can't do this. Let's just chat. Let's chat. But, we, but, but just so you know, I did break down. I wanted to be obedient. We did, we did read the books. But, I mean, the stories, I was asking about their mom. Literally, one kid said, I, my mom's in jail. I hadn't seen her in a long time. There, there's a need out there. And, and I, want, I, want, I, want to, I want to love you, but I want, my, I want my love for you, just like Paul says, to be an example. And that's the challenge for me. You know, you're watching me all the time. I'm watching you. I mean, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law go here. If you want to know who the real Chris is, ask them about Marco Island Weeks. They know my sin up and down. That's challenging. But that's the beauty of a church is we know each other have faults. We know we have struggles. We know we're not perfect. And yet we love each other in the midst of all that. And Paul says, hey, you watch me as I follow Christ. You chase out. I'm going to take on that responsibility as a dad because the number one responsibility a dad has is to be an example. To be an example. It's not, hey, son, you do that. I'm not going to do that, but you do that. No, it's to be an example. And that's what Paul says here. Everything Paul does, he says, was for Christ's Glory, it was on behalf of Christ. And Paul set the example. Everything that we do here, scripture memory, Awana, missions trips. That's why I go on the missions trips. I'm not, I don't want to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. Serving at the food pantry. I'm not there every Saturday, but I do try to come. This Saturday, when we serve them Thanksgiving dinner, I will be here, Lord willing. Because it's the responsibility of setting an example. But this goes way beyond just me. Every single one of us in here who are believers in Jesus Christ have the responsibility of living a life, a life that is an example worth following. It's not just me. You have kids at home, 
you need to be living a life that's worth following. You have co-workers at work, you need to be living a life that's worth following. And the best teaching tool is to set an example. It's to set an example, a visible picture to follow. And that's exactly what Paul says here. He says, I'll be, verse 16, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. In chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Follow me as I follow Christ. The question becomes, if people follow you, where will they end up? If people follow your life, where will they end up? Paul, Paul says, live your life as a pattern. As a pattern that's worth following. We have some ladies that are going to come in here in a, in a week or so, and they're going to sew some dresses. They're going to cut out, they're going to lay a pattern on some material, and they're going to cut out that material according to a pattern. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Your life ought to be a pattern that's worth following as a believer. He says in Philippians 4.9, it, it should come up there on the screen, Philippians 4.9, the things you have learned and received and heard, and listen to this, seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It wasn't just, hey, listen to me and then go do it. No, you've seen it in me. It's living. He says, watch me live out these principles. Paul is saying, just thinking right, that's not enough. Just right thinking, just truth, that's not enough. You can fill your head with truth, but the behavior has to follow. You've got to live it out. Live it out. And, and the singular task, the singular task that Paul says here, he says, I'm going to send you Titus. Paul lived out the example of, of, of being an example in Timothy. I mean, I'm sorry, he says, I'm going to send you Timothy. Paul could not be there. He sent Timothy. Having Timothy go there was just as good as having himself there. Why? Because Timothy had walked with Paul, had learned from Paul, had seen the example of Paul, and, and him going was just as good as Paul being there. The question I face is this. Who do I have in my life that I can send as my representative that would be as good as Chris Basham being there? Who have I poured into enough to where I can send them and it'd be like sending me? But, but not only me, who are, who are you? Who are each of us who are believers in here? Who are we pouring into and reproducing? Are we reproducing ourselves in anybody? Because our singular task, what Paul is saying here, our singular task ultimately is to reproduce ourselves. We follow Christ, and as we're following Christ, we speak to the world and we say, hey, you want to follow Christ too? Come on with me. Follow me as I follow Christ. We're all, as we're walking on this journey to the end, we're, we're trying to gather up as many people who don't know Christ as possible, and we're saying, hey, walk with me, follow me. But, but that involves discipline. And when doing that, Paul is very clear at the end. He says, for the kingdom does not consist of words, but in power. He says, I want to see your life. Don't talk. Don't talk to me. I want to see it in your life. And he says, what do you desire? Shall I come with a rod or with love and a, or in a spirit of gentleness? And one of the, one of the not looked forward to roles that I have as a pastor is discipline. Trust me, I don't look forward to that. Church discipline, not how you grow a church, is by church discipline. But, it, but it's the reality of where we are. It's the reality of my role. We had a man, and I, I, I obviously share no names, but there was a man that I know he and his wife were still married, 
separated but still married, that man brought another woman here one Sunday. Guess what? We had to have a conversation. Not acceptable. Not going to happen. I, I, don't, I, I don't mean to sound... I told him, I said, I don't care how long you've been separated. You're still married. That's part of my job. Karen and I have shared this story before. Karen and I were at a restaurant one time. And we saw a man that I was very good friends with uh, having a meal with somebody that was not his wife. Very clear that this was not a business thing. Very clear. They left. I called him and I said, hey, what's going on? And he shared a story, and just in my gut, in my gut, I just knew. I said, he's, he's not telling the truth. He's not telling the truth. So I said, look, I'm going to call your wife tomorrow. I'm going to tell her what I saw. And I hope, I told him, I said, I hope, I hope with all my being, that she says I'm a fool, that I made a fool on this. I hope I'm wrong. I don't think I am, but I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope when I call her, she, she just goes off on me for, my, uh, for being wrong. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't the case. But guess what? Today, their marriage is stronger than it's ever, ever been. And it was because of that one phone call. And that's what Paul is saying. Look. He's going to give a whole chapter, next chapter on discipline. We need to love each other enough to come alongside one another and help each other up. Not condemning one another, but trying to reconcile one another. It won't always go well. Confronting people in love, it won't always go well. But it's part of the deal. And Paul is quick here to balance discipline and love. As a father, I love my two children, but I have to discipline them. Because love without discipline leads to a spoiled child. And discipline without love will drive that child away. This man, deep down, both of those men knew that I loved them. I had a relationship with them. By the grace of God, they knew that I loved them. That what I was doing was not for fun. was not because I wanted to. I fought trying to have those conversations. I did not want to. But we're parents. And we need to love one another enough in the church to come alongside one another and say, hey, that's not right. Let's get right. Let's make it right. And the application for us is, is this. To be a parent, first you have, a, have to have a child. My question for us is this. Is anyone in the kingdom of God because of you? Is there anyone in the kingdom of God because of you, believer? Anyone, anyone walking with God because you shared your faith with them, they repented of their sinfulness and they received Christ's forgiveness. That's our whole job. That's our, that's our responsibility as believers. For Christ to live through us, for us to share the light that we've been shown. But, but once a new birth takes place, who, who is it out there that you're pouring your life into? Who is it out there that you, you've, you've drawn in and said, hey, hey, walk with me as I follow Christ. Let me show you what it means to walk with Christ. Let me help you walk with Christ. That takes work. 
We, we would all agree, we enjoy making children, it's raising children, that's the work. It's, it's raising them, that's the hard work. And, and we make a big deal about sharing the gospel, what about coming alongside these infants in Christ and, and helping them mature? And that's what Paul is doing here, helping them mature. Look at look at me in closing in 2 Timothy 2 2. This is, this is who I want us to be, who we must be. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who what will be able to teach others also. Pour your lives into each other. So then they're equipped then to go pour their lives into someone else. And we have to make time for it. But we have to balance tolerance with love. As fathers, as, as examples, we have to balance loving one another with disciplining one another. With loving one another, with calling out, with, with, with confronting one another. But we also have to balance not being so fixated on the things of this world that we forget that there's an inheritance that waits us. That the best is yet to come. God has a glorious promise waiting for those to be revealed to those who are believers upon Jesus Christ. And it is to come. It's future. And I pray that we would be a church that's faithful in the meantime as we wait till that is revealed. And the certainty of that future hopefully will change our present.